Ephesians 6.12 is the basis to our sermon season, and what we've been declaring is this. Our problem is not people. Our problem is evil spirits. Come on now. Our problem is not Our problem is That's what Paul says, Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your biggest problem in this room does not have a pulse and makeup on and long hair. That is not your biggest problem in this room. Your biggest problem in this room are the spirits that you are dealing with, right? We need to know that. And now I want to be very, very transparent with you. You can ask my wife afterwards, I'm telling the truth. This is, uh, this is the spirit that I battle. Constantly, this is from early childhood. If you're, up, if you're out there wondering, like, I wonder which one Luke is. In, in the very most unhealthy version of myself, I battle the Absalom spirit like crazy. This rise and rebel spirit. This is, this is the one. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Don't listen to me today purely as the, the one who God's appointed to teach the word. I want to speak to you from experience, okay? And if, if it feels like I am just calling you out, hammer, meet nail, over and over again, it's not me coming at you, it's me coming together with you because this is me. And right now, I may know you better than you know yourself. Right now, you may be thinking, oh my goodness, that's uncomfortable. I've never dealt with that before, but I know that's within me. Me too, brother. We're in the same boat, okay? So the Absalom spirit, this is my battle. I'll give you an example, one of the earliest ones I can remember. I um, used to, uh, when, I, when I finished playing baseball, I started umpiring because I needed money. Terrible idea, right? I'm much more coach than umpire, but I needed the money and they were paying per game and I was like, sign me up. So I found myself umpiring and I had this really seasoned older umpire with me. Guy had called massive games like Division I Conference College Championships and everything else. Stud umpire, he was in the field, I was behind the plate and I'm calling the game and I remember the coach made a comment, I still remember the comment. He said something about the strike zone, something to the effect of like, Call everything that's white, and don't, don't, don't worry about calling the black, too. You can call that, too. And I, I felt this rise up in me, right? Like this rise and rebel, this Absalom spirit made me mad. So I, I looked over at him, and I, I looked at him, I ignored him, and then he, he kept chirping. And so I, I looked at him, and I said, hey, how about you keep your mouth shut? And he was like, what, what did you what? And he, he steps out onto the field. And I said, get off my field. I'm the umpire out here. Get off of my field. This division, right? There was this dysfunction of what he said. Then this disengagement. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to acknowledge you. Now there's this division. I said, get off my field. And so he goes back to the dugout and he, he keeps chirping. And I said, if you say one more thing, I'm throwing you out of here. I get defiant. I give him this threat. What do you think he did? I'll tell you this, he didn't fold his hands, sit on the bench, and keep his mouth shut. Chirps right back at me, and I said, You, you are gone. Get out of here. Enjoy the game from the parking lot. And if you don't hurry up, I'll call the police and they'll take you out of here. Went back behind the plate, gathered myself, got back to calling balls and strikes, right? Game's over, the seasoned umpire comes up to me. He says, hey, can I talk to you? I was like, yeah. And he said, hey, you called a great game. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, thanks. Appreciate that. And he said, that other coach, man, he was a jerk, wasn't he? I was like, yeah. And you see what I did to him? Yeah, he was a jerk. And he said, yeah. He said, can I, can I talk to you about that? I said, sure. And he said, hey, you, you provoked that coach. I was like, what? And he said, and then after you provoked him, you threatened him. I said, what? Really? And he said, then, then after you threatened him, you threw him out. And he said, and here, here was the, the hardest thing with the whole thing, is I could tell there was something about you that liked it. There was something that rose up within you that found this joy. And here's what bothered me the most. He was right. 
Whether or not you, you side with the umpire or the coach in the scenario, it was the spirit behind it. That's one of the earliest times I can remember seeing within me this rise and rebel spirit. Oh, you're going to call me out? Then I'm going to call you out. You're going to push me? I'm going to push you. You slap me? I slap you. Kick me? I kick you. Like, you. I'll just rise and I will rebel. This is the story of the Absalom spirit. He lost everything that he has because of this rise and rebellion that comes from him. He literally destroys his entire life. And here's the crazy thing. Let me give you some context for Absalom. Absalom was David's son. He was David's oldest son, okay? The second thing was Absalom's mom was a queen before David married her and had David. So David's got royal blood on both sides. Mom was a queen, dad was a king. He's the oldest son. He's next in line for the throne. He's the next guy. All he has to do is wait. The problem is this Absalom spirit rose up inside of him, and instead of waiting for it, he tried to force it. Can I tell you something? The only thing worse than you not getting what you want is you forcing what you want when you're not ready for it. The only thing worse than you not getting what you want right now is you forcing what you want when you're not ready for it. This, this Absalom spirit was not content with what he had, and if you are not content with what you have, you will never be content with what you want. Because contentment is not based on accumulation. Contentment is based on, on submission, right? So you have contentment is when I am submitted to what I have and I don't need more. You'll never be content if you think your contentment is based on the next thing that you want. There's no content, and this Absalom spirit thrives and rises in this place of discontentment and frustration, so I'm going to force what I want, and by forcing what I want, I create a rebellion. This is, and, and hear me, because I don't want us to lose, lose our, our train of thought. The, the rebellion is not always rise up, create an army, and take over. Sometimes the rebellion is in your marriage. Oftentimes, the rebellion of the Absalom spirit is in your marriage. Sometimes it is kids towards parents. Sometimes it's towards your employer. Sometimes contextually, it shows up in the most subtle of ways. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you the five stages of the Absalom spirit, okay? And then I'll give you some examples of it and we'll walk through all five stages. These are incredibly important. And remember, I'm talking from experience here. Stage one, dysfunction. A dysfunction occurs that sparks the Absalom spirit. Stage two is disengagement. This dysfunction happens. Instead of engaging it, I disengage from it. That leads me to a place of division. All of a sudden, I am divided. I am divided from it, and that division turns to defiance. I'm no longer divided, but now I'm defiant. That defiance will lead to destruction every single time. I'll give you two examples, one in a marriage and one in the workplace. Here it is in a marriage. We get in an argument. Spouse and I, we, we get in an argument. I get frustrated. Someone says something or there's a hurt that occurs and this hurt happens. And after this hurt happens, instead of engaging that dysfunction or handling that dysfunction, we don't engage at all. So there's this dysfunction that happens, leads to disengagement. Not gonna talk to you, not gonna show affection, I'm gonna punish you by not showing affection, no more hugs, no more pats, no I love yous when phone calls finish, I'm gonna send one letter text messages, K, 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 thumbs up emoji. I'm just gonna be as, I'm gonna be as minimal as I can to let you know I don't like you right now. I'm gonna disengage and my disengagement is my punishment towards you, right? So then the disengagement happens. That disengagement, if it is not resolved, turns to division. Now, you do your thing, I do mine. You, you take and do your girls weekend, I'll go to the deer camp, you handle the kids here, I'll handle the kids here, you pick this up, I'll do this, home divided, two roommates living in it, we are just, you got yours, I got mine, we are divided. It's the absolute spirit, it goes from disengagement to division. That division will turn to, dis, to, 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 to defiance. We're no longer divided, but now I defy you. 
Now I just don't like you. Now I find ways to make comments to hurt you. Now I find ways to come against you, to just let you know that I defy you. How does this end in a marriage stage five destruction? I don't even have to explain it to you. It's when the affair happens. Or it's when you find yourself in an attorney's office dividing up assets. Because the dysfunction happened, it was disengaged, turned to division, rolled into defiance, and now it's destroyed. Here it is in the marketplace. You have an employee who puts in for a promotion and they're really excited, think they're gonna get the promotion. You gather the office together, they're all standing next to each other and he thinks it's his and then all of a sudden you announce the promotion as the guy next to him and he's like, wow, didn't see that coming and the other guy sinks down and he's hurt, he's upset, he's frustrated and instead of engaging it, instead of having a conversation, we leave a gap. That gap creates that dysfunction. What do they do next? They disengage. They no longer participate in culture. They don't give feedback in meetings. They don't, they, don't, they don't enjoy coming to work. They don't go to the break room. They're not laughing. They're not hanging out. They are just show up, do my job, leave disengaged from everything. That disengagement will turn to division. Hey, I don't think we should be doing it that way, but I'm not the boss around here, at least not yet. What do you think if I became the boss? Would you come with me? Would you do it? This division begins. That division rolls into defiance. This is when the secretary comes in and she says the entire marketing department has left. Our two best clients have gone with them and they started a business down the road. It is this defiance. I'll take it now and it will be mine and it leads to destruction every single time. Why? Because anything birthed out of a rebellion inherits the culture of rebellion. If you've trained them to rebel to go with you, what do you think they're gonna do next to you? The moment you frustrate them, whose head's on the chopping block? Yours, you've created the culture. You've created this rebellious, rise up against it, take it if I want it, cut the head off the top and run with it. That is the whole stage of the Absalom spirit. Okay, oh man, five stages 25 minutes and we're out of here. Here we go. Stage one, dysfunction. Let's get into this story. And listen, this story gets extremely intense, so open up your heart and be ready to receive. Number one, dysfunction. The Absalom spirit always begins with a hurt, whether perceived or actual. Always. It starts with a hurt. That hurt can be real or that hurt can be perceived no matter what, it starts with a hurt. 2 Samuel 13, 1. Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. Don't forget that. We have Absalom and we have his beautiful sister Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. So you've got Absalom and Tamar, brother and sister, and you've got Amnon, this half-brother, who has fallen in love with his half-sister. 2 Samuel 13, 4. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, what's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother's sister. Jonadab's advice was, do something about it. If you're in love with her, do something. So he does. He devises this plan to get her to cook for him, and when she comes in to cook for him, he's gonna rape her. And I'll read it to you. It is in 2 Samuel 13, starts in verse 10. Then he said to Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took him his favorite dish, but as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling. Verse 12, no, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please, just speak to the king about it and he will let you marry me. Verse 14, but Amnon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than her, he raped her. Verse 15, then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate. And he hated her even more than he had loved her. 
Get out of here. He snarled at her and throws her out. So now you have brother who raped sister, throws her out of the house, and where does she wind up? Absalom's home. We'll pick it up. 2 Samuel 13, 20 through 22. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now. What a mess. Keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't worry about it. Watch this. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman. If you circle that word desolate, it is an intense Hebrew adjective that they use to describe a field that has been abandoned, that no longer has water and is no longer able to produce crops. And it is, it is so broken, <clears throat> it's so abandoned, and it's so unuseful that it's declared desolate and it is just left alone. The, 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 the Hebrew imagery is she was so broken she was so broken that anyone that would see her would say, oh my goodness, I don't know if anything good can come from this. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's home. Man comes home every day from work and sees his broken, desolate, raped sister there. Every day comes home and sees the source of his greatest pain. Verse 21, when King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. If you keep reading, it says David did the same thing as Absalom. Neither one of them said anything. Neither one of them said anything. They told her, just be quiet, I'll take care of this. Two years later, Amnon is murdered by Absalom, but for two years, doesn't say anything, just leaves her broken in the home. David, his own daughter, is raped by one of his sons, and what does he do? He doesn't do a thing. Doesn't even have a conversation. This is the dysfunction. This is the dysfunction. Acting like it never happened. Never having the hard conversations. Never engaging with it. You have this broken, desolate woman that's been raped by her brother and you don't even talk to her? You don't even have the conversation? This is the, this is the genesis of the Absalom spirit. This dysfunction unaddressed. For me, daddy issues. I had major daddy issues that went unresolved for the longest time and it rose up in me, this dysfunction and this disengagement that created this divisive rebel that was always defiant almost to his own destruction. Oh, you're gonna call me out? You're gonna come out of the dugout and talk to me? Dad is gonna challenge me? I've never had a dad and I'm not your son now. I'll show you what's up. Get back to the dugout. Do you see it? Do you see it? How it just shows up in these toxic moments because we don't address it. This is when husband and wife get into a fight and then they wake up in the morning and act like nothing happened. Hey, morning. We're screaming, yelling at each other, tearing each other apart, saying hurtful things, suggesting we just get a divorce because we can't get along. And in the morning, we're just like, hey, how are you? I guess we're good. It's how this dysfunction lingers. This is mom and dad that get a divorce and then never talk to the kids about it. Never bring it up. Never have a conversation. This is dad whose daughter goes through a breakup at 16 and you can literally hear her in her bedroom upstairs crying because of heartbreak. And what do you do? You turn the TV up louder so you don't have to listen to it. Rather than go and have the conversation. This is the heart of the dysfunction that welcomes this spirit in. It is this quietness. It is this avoidance. It is this lack of backbone to have a conversation that needs to be had. 
It's the heart of the Absalom spirit. My, my son, it's the best illustration I can think. We love to go on bike rides, and he had a hole in one of his bike tires. And I remember he was, he was wanting to ride. We didn't, I was like, you know what? I'll just put some air in it, and it'll, it'll work for 30 minutes. And I put air in it, and it looked fine. And we ride about three or four miles away from the house, and all of a sudden it is flat, flat, like rim on pavement, and he's fussing about it. And so I've got one baby in a seat, and I've got another one in a carriage, and my son doesn't want to carry his own bike because he's tired. And so I find myself, I'm, I'm hauling one bike, I'm walking another bike, and my son, I'm tired, I'm sweaty, I hate this, I'm never doing bike rides again. And I thought to myself, putting air in a pop tire doesn't solve the problem, it just gets you further down the road with a bigger problem. Listen, if all you do is blow hot air into the dysfunction of your family or the dysfunction of your children or the dysfunction of your marriage, if all you do is put a little air in it and never fix the holes, all you're doing is prolonging a disaster. You are prolonging a destruction. That's how the Absalom spirit works. You'll see it over and over and over. Here's a few notes. Number one, if you see this dysfunction, don't leave things undone. And there's no time frame on this. Took me 20 years to heal from the dysfunction with my father. 20 years to heal and break free from this rebellious dysfunction that was rising up in me. There's no time frame on it. Address them and don't leave them undone. Number two, and I think this is really important for parents who are dealing with a child and you are saying, my child has an Absalom spirit. They have a dysfunction that happened in their life. They are completely disengaged from the family. They are divided and divisive. And anytime I try to connect with them, they defy against me and I see them on the road to destruction. Here is a, a, what I think is super helpful. Remember this, you are not dealing with hate, you are dealing with hurt. And when you can, and it may come out like hate, I can't tell you how many times I told my stepdad I hated him. I didn't even, I, I, it had nothing to do with him. It was the hurt from my dad and my issues, the, the dysfunction that I'd never resolved that was coming out in the form of hate, but it was a hurt. And if you will constantly go back to the hurt, if you will try to heal the hurt, that's your pathway in to an Absalom spirit. You're not dealing with hate, you're dealing with hurt. What happens with this dysfunction? Number two, if you have an Absalom spirit, it goes to disengagement. You completely disconnect. Listen, this is two years later, Absalom lures Amnon into a field and kills him. After he murders him, he flees to his grandpa's kingdom on his mother's side because he's scared he's gonna get in trouble for murdering his brother. He spends two years there. After he spends two years, David decides he misses Absalom. So he asked Joab, who's part of his kingdom, to go find Absalom. He finds Absalom, brings him to Israel, yet when Absalom gets to Israel, two years go by and David doesn't even talk to him. Do you see the pattern passed down generation to generation to generation? We don't talk about these difficult things. We don't have hard conversations. We act like nothing happened. Hey, come back to Israel. I miss you but I'm not gonna talk to you, I'm gonna act like you don't exist, right? Hey, do this to my sister, we don't address it, I just blow up and kill you one day. Here, we'll jump into the story. 2 Samuel 14, 25 through 30. Now, Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. He cut his hair only once a year, and then only because it was so heavy. Can you imagine the dreads on this guy? <clears throat> when he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. You know what's amazing about this? The pinnacle of his beauty becomes the source of his destruction. He, he's later killed because of his hair. You'll, you'll hear it in the story, but here, here's all I would tell you. If you don't get your beauty un under control, it can lead you to destruction. You may be an incredible leader, and you may have a beauty about you that's charismatic, filled with leadership, and you may be leading the heart of a rebellion. If you don't bring it into submission, it can cost you. Verse 27. He had three sons and one daughter. This, it just gets me every time. This is Absalom. He has three sons and one. Listen, his daughter's name was Tamar. Think about this. The very source of his deepest pain 
he tries to heal in one of his greatest moments of becoming a daddy to a daughter. And he names her after his sister, his broken, desolate sister. Just wrap your mind around that. Can you imagine the moment the baby is born and Absalom shows up at home and he's got his sister in there and he looks at her and he says, Tamar, come here, I want you to meet your new niece. And she's, you know, through her broken, fragile, desolate frame, she's lost a ton of weight because of the pain and stress and she says, okay, and she cracks a little smile and he takes the baby and he says, look, and he says, I want you to meet your niece, this is Tamar. Can you imagine the tears that flow down her face? To realize her brother is trying to find a moment of redemption in the birth of his daughter by naming her after his sister. And she was very beautiful, just like her aunt was. Verse 28, Absalom lived in Jerusalem two years, but he never got to see the king. David, what are you doing? Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him, but Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but Joab refused again. So Absalom said to his servants, go and set fire to Joab's barley field, the field next to mine. So they set his field on fire as Absalom had commanded him. This disengagement of the Absalom spirit usually goes like this. Silence, 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 stuff, stuff, stuff explode. I don't say anything about what happened to my sister. I don't address the subject. I act like nothing happened. I see him again and it drives me nuts at Thanksgiving. I hate him at Christmas. In January, hey, you want to come work with me in a field? Boom, I murder him. Silence, 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 stuff, 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 explode. What does he do? He comes back to Israel Hey, I want to talk to my dad. Nobody responds. Hey, I want to talk to my dad. Nobody responds. Hey, will you get a hold of my dad? I want to talk to my dad. Dad doesn't respond. Set the field on fire. Burn it all down and get his attention. It is this super stuffer turned to explosion. This is the person who doesn't speak up in a meeting because they're disengaged, but then they explode when the results aren't what they wanted. This is the spouse who doesn't engage their significant other at all, doesn't have conversation, no affection, one letter text messages, goes out to their truck, looks in their truck, finds a Taco Bell wrapper, grabs that wrapper, walks in and explodes and says, you leave trash in my truck every time that you drive it and I tell you not to do it but all you do is not listen to me and the dishes are never done and there's laundry all over the floor, you don't do anything around here. It is stuff, 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 pow, explode over and over and over again. If you are an Absalom spirit, this is your coping mechanism. Remember, I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. This is what we do. We disengage super stuff and explode over and over and over. Disengage, stuff, stuff, stuff. Disengage, stuff, 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 and explode. Disengage, don't talk, erupt. I know this all too well. I used to have a phrase that I would run around saying to myself, he who cares the least is the most in control. I don't care. I don't care about that. Don't care about you. Don't care about this. I am all in. I got all the power because I don't care. What I was really saying is I'm disengaged and I am disintegrating into a division that is going to lead to my destruction if I don't get it under control. This is your red flag. Absalom spirit, this is your red flag. When you find yourself disengaging, when you find yourself pulling away, when you find yourself flipping the switch and turning it off and caring the least and, and having that no affection, no engagement, I'm going to punish you by disengaging from you. And the more you try to talk to me, the more I'm in control because the more I will push you away until you submit to what I want. This is your red flag. You have to do one of two things. You either have to apologize or forgive. You create the dysfunction, you have to own the dysfunction and apologize. If you are hurt by a dysfunction, you have to forgive it. If you don't, you will stay stuck in the cycle and it will only roll into division. My son, who um, is a mirror 
of me, right? He, uh, the other day, other sat- a couple Saturdays ago, I told him, you got to clean your room before you do anything around here. Saturday morning, trying to be a good dad, got chores, right? Go up and clean your room. He's like, Dad, I don't want to. I don't care. Go clean your room. And then afterwards, you can do whatever you want. Goes up in his room. Two minutes later, he comes down. Room's clean. I'm like, no way. There was stuff. At, there was Legos everywhere, clothes everywhere, toys everywhere, happy eating pizza sitting there. I mean, it was just everything. And I was like, there's no way you did that in two minutes. He's like, I promise you. I said, is there anything on your floor? He said, no. I said, is there anything on your nightstands? He said, no. So I'm like, okay, fine. I go up to his room, to his credit. It's completely clean. And then it dawned on me, what did I do when I was a kid to clean my room? I looked over at the closet. I was like, oh, you're dealing with an old dog here, you know. You think you got me. Walk over there. And, and, you know, you could tell. He's like, "Uh uh-oh. He's like, like, no, Dad, my my room's really clean, right? My dad really, and I opened it up, and it was like, it was like a movie. Like this tub, he literally took a tub of Legos, set it on the very top, arched at an angle. Literally, the door opens up, and nine million Legos just fall out. I'm sitting there looking at it. I looked at him. He looked at me. I said, is this cleaning? Is this cleaning? He said, no. And I said, all this is is stuffing garbage in a closet that's going to fall out later. Listen, if all you do is avoid the dysfunction and avoid the disengagement, all you are doing is stuffing all of your problems into a closet that are going to come out later. That is all. You are not cleaning or fixing your problems by stuffing them away and acting like nothing happened and disengage. What you are doing is setting yourself up to enter into a very destructive cycle. The next step in that cycle is division. This is the heartbeat of the Absalom story. I'll be really honest with you. I can connect the first two stages I can understand. Absalom spirit, you, get a, you don't get a pass, but you have a great explanation on the first two stages. Something terrible happens to you or something hurtful happens to you, and you have this dysfunction that all of a sudden you disengage. You, you, you have pulled back. You have disengaged. I get it. Here is where it turns to sin. This is what happens when you don't deal with it. If you don't deal with the dysfunction, you don't engage the disengagement, here is what happens. Stage three is division. Second Samuel 13, one through 12. After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the city gate. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've got a really strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. Verse 4. This is that person in the office that says, man, you got great ideas. It's too bad no one at the top wants to listen to you. You got some really good ideas. Too bad no one in leadership cares about you. I, I mean, I care about you, but it's, it's too bad nobody else does. Verse 4. I wish I were the judge. Man, if I were the leader. Man, if I were the boss. I wish I were the judge, then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment and I would give them justice. I would be so much better of a CEO. I would be so much better of a manager. I would be so much better of a pastor. I just wish that I was in charge so that I could help everybody out around here. Verse five, when people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, He took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. Here it is. This is the motivation, and this is the division of the Absalom spirit. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. After four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. For while your servant was at Geshur and Aram, I promised the sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. So he's saying, hey, let me run a quick spiritual errand real quick and I'm gonna take a bunch of people with me. Verse nine. All right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say, 
Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. He took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Galil. Soon, many others also joined Absalom, and the conspiracy gained momentum. This is when you have a problem. This is when somebody comes up to the pastor and says, hey, we got this new mailer for the church in town. Didn't know the kid's pastor was starting a church right across the street, right? And you show up to church and half the people are gone and this, this rebellion has taken root in the form of division. This is when you show up and your secretary tells you half the staff is gone, there's a new business across the street and all of our clients are going over there. This is when you have a problem. I, I wanna, and I want to share this. You, you can always disagree. I think it's important to understand this is not one of those holy submission, you do whatever the leader tells you. You can always disagree, but when you disagree with leadership, go to leadership. When you disagree with leadership, go to leadership. That's how you disagree. Hey, I, I know we're about to make this decision, and uh, I just felt like I wanted to share with you before we make this decision, just to give you some feedback. I got a strong conviction about this. If we decide to go this way, I'll join the rest of the team and we'll jump in together and do it. But before we do, I just felt like I wanted to give you some feedback. Go to leadership, not the rest of the people, and say, hey, we're about to make a really stupid decision, but if I were in charge, I wouldn't do that. Maybe one day you'll be with me. Maybe one day you'll be coming with me. I love 1 Samuel 15, 23. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Wrap that around your mind for a second. Rebellion is witchcraft. It is equivalent to witchcraft. Stubbornness is idol worship. You're worshiping yourself. Stubbornness is idol worship. Rebellion is witchcraft. I'll give you seven names really quick. Korah, Datham, Abiram, Jezebel, Ahithophel, Absalom, and Judas. All of them in scripture led rebellions and all of them died because of them. When you get to this place of division, you are entering the sin of the Absalom spirit. Let's keep going, all right? Uh, stage four, defiance. Here is the defiance. This is the all-out waging war. Here's the difference in the Jezebel spirit and the Absalom spirit. The Jezebel spirit stays behind the scenes. The Absalom spirit, once they got the people, they take over. It's hostile takeover. I'm the new man in town. 2 Samuel 15, 13, a messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Chapter 16, Absalom shows up in Jerusalem and he announces the new king is here, builds a statue to himself in the center of Jerusalem, and then he asks Ahithophel, what should I do to convince the people that I have really rebelled against my dad so that they know I'm telling the truth? Ahithophel says, sleep with all his women. Take his women and sleep with them. So what do they do? 2 Samuel 16, 22 so they set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it. And Absalom went in and had sex with his father's concubines. The ultimate in defiance. New king is here, Absalom has arrived, statue is out, and I'm sleeping with his women. Now you know who the man is, right? Do you see how far this spirit will take you? I talk with people all the time battling the Absalom spirit. Talk with men who find themselves in an affair. And they say, I never saw myself getting here, but the cycle of dysfunction that led them to completely disengage, that caused a divisive heart, that now rooted them into defiance of, I'm going to go find happiness in the form of another relationship that is just a fantasy anyway, but maybe I'll find it in this defiance over here, one step from destruction because of this spirit. 
So he's at the pinnacle of defiance. He's taken over Israel. He's built himself a statue. He slept with all his dad's women. Chapter 17, Ahithophel comes to him, and they both give, they both give Absalom some advice. And Absalom, I'm going to summarize this really quickly. All you need to know is this. One advice was really good advice. The other advice was really bad. God steps in on this advice to lead to the destruction. This is what I want you to see. 2 Samuel 17, 14. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Hashai's advice is better than Ahithophel's, for the Lord had determined. Do you see what happened? When you step into defiance, you start messing with God. When you step into defiance, this is no longer a battle I have to fight, this is God's battle to fight. You come and you, you have this defiant Absalom spirit and I'll do whatever I want and live however I want and act however I want and you'll be the victim and I don't care and I'll put my statue in the middle of the stage. I'll announce I'm the new pastor and I'll take everyone with if that's you, If that's what, you've got a much bigger problem than me. That's when God steps in. God steps into the defiance and what does he do? For the Lord had determined to defeat the council of Ahithophel which really was the better plan, so that he could bring disaster on Absalom. God stops the rebellion. That's good news for you living in the heart of a rebellion right now caused by an Absalom spirit. God's going to shut that thing down. They're dealing with someone way bigger than you, with much bigger plans than you. Listen to me. Man cannot stop what God has ordained. If God has called you to it and God is using you in it, no Absalom spirit can stop it. They will find themselves in defiance of God. I'll give you an illustration. What? No, I better not. I better not. Okay. You, okay. Dad one ask, you know. I mean, just waiting for a little affirmation here. Um, it, it, so I, I have a friend who his daughter, she's 16, super cool, this is a number of years ago, and there's a 16-year-old boy who was the captain of the basketball team, he was six foot four, and he wanted to ask her to the prom, and my buddy's super protective dad, right? And so he catches wind, right, that this 16-year-old boy, six foot four, walking around talking about, I'm going to invite his daughter to the prom, and they're like, dude, her, her dad's the real deal, right? And he's like, I don't care, I'm bigger than her dad, it's all good, I'm going to invite her to the prom. He's got this swag about him, right? 16-year-old, six foot four. My buddy has a friend who played in the NBA who's six foot nine. So my buddy calls his friend who played in the NBA, six foot nine, but he also has another friend who's, an, who's a professional bodybuilder. I'm talking absolutely jacked. This guy looks like the statue of Zeus, right? He is Arnold in his prime. He's massive. So my buddy calls these two guys over, and he's like, hey, this guy's going to ask our daughter, our daughter Kaylee Joe, to the prom. You, you, you can come over here and, and deal with it. So the 16-year-old, six foot four, walking up to the door, he's about to, and and the six foot nine basketball player opens the door and steps out. And, and the kid's like, look at him. And he says to him, hey, little man. Hey, little man. Here, I hear you want to talk. And he's like, mm, uh, yeah, yeah. He's like, come, come on in, come on in. Standing in the middle of the living room is his bodybuilder, and he just got done repping out a few sets to get that pump on, if you know what I mean, right? And he's in a tank top, and he's standing there, and he is just jacked up. And the, the, the kid comes walking in, and he looks at him, and the bodybuilder says, hey, little man. Hey, little man. Here, you want to talk? And he was like, yeah. And he was like, all right. Have a seat on the couch. Six foot nine guy sits right next to a bodybuilder, scoots in right next to him. Man, they got this kid smushed, and he's just sitting there. And my, my buddy, the dad, he walks out. He's like Al Pacino and Scarface, man. He goes, hey, hey, man. I hear you want to ask me a question. Something you want to talk to me about? And the kid is like, I was, I was I just like, I was thinking about like maybe the possibility. And his daughter, she's up on the second floor recording the whole thing, right? Like, <clears throat> super cool family. I, I thought I'd just ask, like, if you mind if I, if I took her to the prom? And he said, you going to do anything to her that I wouldn't? No, sir. No, sir. And he says, what time are you going to have her home? He says, 8.30? <laughs> and here's what he realized. He was a big man until he started with dealing with someone who was bigger than him. 
Here's the comfort that you need when you're dealing with the Absalom spirit. God is for you in the middle of this situation. And when that defiance comes, it may feel like the end of the world. I felt this in ministry. It may feel like you got problems that you don't know how to solve. You don't have to solve them. God's going to solve them for you. God's going to take care of those problems because the Absalom spirit in defiance is fighting not against you, but against God. They're fighting against God. So now we roll here, stage five, destruction. 2 Samuel 18.1. David now mustered the men who were with him and appointed generals and captains to lead them. Verse, sorry, 2 Samuel 18.9-15. During the battle, here's what I was talking about earlier. Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of the great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. That five-pound hair didn't work out for him there. Verse 10. One of David's men saw what had happened and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. What? Joab demanded. You saw him there and didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with 10 pieces of silver and a hero's belt. Verse 12, I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver. The man Joab replied, catch this. We all heard the king say to you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, Please spare young Absalom. David, what are you doing? Do you see the dysfunction in David? He is at war with his son, and he doesn't have the backbone to have a conversation with him, but he's saying, just don't, don't kill him. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but just don't kill him. His daughter is raped by one of his sons, doesn't do anything. His son kills the other son that raped her, does nothing. Invites him to come back to Israel, does nothing. Goes to war with him, tells his generals, don't kill him, but doesn't even talk to him. Dads, listen to me. At some point, you gotta have a backbone and have some hard conversations. All I needed was a conversation. All I needed was a conversation. I'm a 16-year-old kid with massive dysfunction from an absent father that has left this broken, rebellious heart with nowhere to go, and nobody wanted to talk to me about it. All I needed was a conversation. What, what if the one thing that would heal the mass dysfunction in your family is you actually having a conversation? rather than lingering in silence and sweeping things under the rug and acting like nothing happened. Address the divorce, don't hide from it. Address the abuse, don't hide from it. Address the pain, don't hide from it. Address the dysfunction, don't hide from it. That's what you're dealing with, hurt. And yet David does nothing. Verse 13. And if I had betrayed the king by killing his son, and the king would certainly find out who did it, you yourself would be the first to abandon me. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said, and Joab goes, takes daggers and workers with him, and they kill Absalom as he hangs from the tree. Absalom had a dysfunction that went unregarded. Nobody said anything. It led him to mass disengagement. He ran away, then he came back and never had a conversation about it led him to division. He murdered his brother, and then he started winning the hearts of the people. Once he had the hearts of the people, he didn't know what to do with his division. It leads to defiance. He stamps right into the middle of Jerusalem, builds a statue to himself, sleeps with his dad's women, and says, I'm the new man in town. And it all leads to his destruction. I'll end here. Um, you know, for me, I'll just, again, be very, very transparent with you. Uh, this spirit has been such a battle for me my entire life. And I'll tell you, the first two years of my marriage was an absolute mess. I was just, I was an Absalom spirit. Dysfunction, disengagement, division, on down the list, right? It was just me. And, and I, we, were, we were so toxic. We were fighting. And all of a sudden, our, our fights, I, my disengagement would be, well, why don't we just get a divorce? Oh, okay, fine. 
Let's just get a divorce. That's the easy go-to for disengagement. It's an easy way out because there's no response to it. There's nothing that you can do. It's, okay, fine, let's just get a divorce. That's, that was my coping mechanism of disengagement. Anna would too. We both just had this toxicity. And once you go there, you don't retreat from it. Every disagreement goes to that space. When this Absalom spirit is there, every time you start arguing, the disengagement is, let's just get a divorce. We were dysfunctional. Our marriage was a mess. We wound up in a marriage counselor's office and began talking to him. And I remember him looking at me in particular. And he said, here is one thing that has to happen today. You have got to quit going there with divorce. It can't come out of your mouth. It can't come out of your mind. It can't rest in your heart. You cannot go there. If you're going to heal dysfunction, you can't disengage every time by threatening divorce. You cannot do it. Don't go there. You can't go there, whatever. So that was the first commitment. Don't go there. I was willing to not go there. I think we've, I, I don't know, she's in nursing moms right now. Cut the camera really. I think it's 13 years we've been together, 14 years, 13 married or 13, 12 married. Um, Something like that, right? And I, I, can't, I can't remember the last time we went there. We got that out. We, we quit going there 10 years ago. And now the next commitment was, he said, the second thing you have to do is you have to go there. You have to meet your wife emotionally. You have to meet her in her emotions. You have to meet her in the feels of what she's feeling. And she has to be able to meet you, which means you have to open your heart up to it. And you have to be willing to have the conversation. You can't be a David and hide and stay silent and act like nothing happened all the time. You have to go there. You have to be willing to go there. So the first commitment was don't go there. The second commitment was you have to go there. And I'll just tell you, we were at dinner Friday night, beautiful place, and, and we're sitting there face to face and we're just talking and we said, what, what's going well right now? I said, what do we need to work on? What's going well and what are you excited about? Three questions we always kind of talk about. I said, what's going well right now? And we looked at each other and said, you know what? I think our marriage is a, a better place than it's, than it's ever been in the 13 years, we've, 12 years we've been together, right? I think our marriage is in a better place than it's ever been. And I will tell you why. Because we got the Absalom spirit out of it. We decided to quit going there. You say, I don't know, how, how, do, you, how do you quit going there? I don't know, figure it out. I did. I'm an Absalom spirit to the core. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by prayer, by accountability, by confession. I don't care. A lot, some things don't need a big philosophical reasoning behind it. You just got to do it. How do you quit going there? Quit going there. Fix your words, fix your mouth, fix your thoughts, fix your heart. Quit doing it. The second thing that you need to do is go there. You have got to be willing to go there. If you don't, you can be a David and watch your family implode. If you don't, you can be an Absalom and implode your own life. You've got to be willing to go there.